Welcome to Served Neat. I'm your host, Jen Hartman. I am wildly obsessed with marketing, sales, business, and the bottom line. I left corporate America with $3,000 in my bank account and a dream of becoming a successful entrepreneur. In the last two years, I grew my marketing consultancy to multiple six figures, worked with over 160 CEOs, and even started my very own fashion brand. In this podcast, I'll be serving up my best kept secrets to help you grow and scale your business. Each week, you'll hear from myself along with other entrepreneurs. You'll learn about what it actually takes to grow a brand, the ups, the downs, and everything in between. Pour yourself a glass of bourbon and get ready to take notes because it is time to dive into this week's episode. In today's episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Monica, the founder of Marea. Marea is a drinkable nutrition for hormonal health and PMS relief. Monica struggled with PMS for most of her life, but with the help of doctors, nutritionists, and her own research, she uncovered a whole health solution to her problems. Monica vowed to develop a convenient and effective multivitamin to help women suffering from PMS. Since her launch, she has grown Marea to six figures, a mark that less than 12% of women ever reach. Monica is kind of a rock star. In today's episode, Monica shares more about her journey running a bootstrapped business, a real behind-the-scenes look at product development, and her marketing secrets. You'll want to pull out a pen and a piece of paper because today's episode is a juicy one. All right, let's dive in. Monica, I am so excited to have you with us today. How do you feel? What's going on? Yeah, so excited to be here. My husband and I actually just last minute made a little road trip to Florida from Jackson, Wyoming. We're here supporting some family who just had surgery, but excited to be in the Sunshine State. (laughs) I am so jealous because right now it's 14 degrees outside. So if you could just send some of that warm weather my way, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I'll send it right your way. Amazing. So I love to start every podcast interview with having my guest share a little bit more about herself and her business and how she got started. Yeah. So my business really came to be out of a personal problem. I launched a women's wellness and menstrual wellness brand in January of 2020. And it was because I was dealing with really severe period problems and was just so amazed at the lack of education around the menstrual cycle and felt really lost in my own journey. And when I finally found a solution, I realized it was something I needed to share. Prior to that, I'd already been working in e-commerce in a product-based business. I was the director of marketing for a pet brand actually, and worked in that position for like three years prior to kind of um, launching my own brand. And I always knew I wanted to have my own brand. I just hadn't found the right product or reason to launch something yet, I truly believe that you have to be passionate about it, right? Like you're going to dig into something and you have to commit to it for a long time. And so if you're not passionate about it, you're just going to burn out. So when I realized that there was this need for a nutritional product for specifically for menstruating women, and it was something missing in my life, it was something I wanted to solve for. And I really wanted to build that community and that awareness for other women. And so I launched Maria. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. And you have quite the background as well. It's not like you just came out of high school and decided to launch a business. Like you've (laughs) been in marketing for a while. And I think that's awesome. And I think that 
when you have a marketing background and you go to launch a product-based business, you are at such an advantage. What do you think about that? Yeah. It's interesting. I worked in media for a long time in the outdoor industry, working with brands like the North Face and O'Neill, REI. And that really taught me a lot about the brand side of things. So I got to work with these really like big corporate brands, you know, helping them build up their media profiles and also selling the media and doing all these things. But I realized that the brand was like really where it was at and really where I was passionate. So when I went in-house for a brand, I got to get my hands dirty and that was so fun. So I feel like I got to make a lot of mistakes with someone else's brand (laughs) and going into my own brand. I had some good direction on like platforms I wanted to use and strategies that I wanted to execute on in a sense where I didn't feel like I was scratching. I could kind of hit the ground running, but it was definitely a different experience doing it for yourself. And then also doing it with less resources. (laughs) Yeah, I agree 100%. I have another business called Doggy Issues. It is a product-based business. And it's so funny, like going from spending somebody else's money when you work for another brand and then having to spend your own money. And you're really thinking about every single dollar that is coming out of your business account and just hoping and praying that you get a return on everything you're spending money on. So I totally, that resonated with me. So I know that you launched in 2020. You launched before the pandemic. And then you go into the pandemic. What was that like? Yeah, we had even planned to launch earlier, but the pandemic was actually happening. So some of our packaging comes from China or it was supposed to. And so we were in comms with our packaging facility over there and waiting to get final kind of feedback. And this was December, 2019, early January, 2020. And they never came back from the Chinese new year. Like Chinese New Year is this huge thing in China, factory shut down, but they just never came back. And that's because like COVID was hitting there before it hit in the States. So we were affected by all of this even earlier on, and it actually pushed our launch date back. Luckily, e-commerce and the digital space kind of exploded during COVID. So like overall, there wasn't a huge impact other than just delays. That's awesome. That kind of happened with my business too, because I went full-time in my innate marketing in January of 2020. And it's almost like COVID was really good for my business. And for me, it was like, well, so many people were getting laid off and they were starting their own businesses and they really needed help with marketing. So they came to me to help them with marketing and sales. So for me, it worked out. And I think that, I don't know, I was really lucky in that sense. And I guess so were you, but cool. Okay. Let's kind of fast forward a little bit and talk about the fact that you're self-funding, correct? Or have you taken on capital? Yeah, we are a bootstrap brand. Oh my goodness. What has that been like? It's my favorite and my least favorite part. (laughs) It's been really, really interesting. And I think we were really lucky in the fact that our initial funding was able to be secured through a state grant that was kind of like a once in a lifetime, really random thing. The state of Wyoming, we're based in Jackson, Wyoming, was giving away these startup grants to businesses that had high high growth potential. We'd heard about it through our local like entrepreneurial circle and decided to apply. And I'd actually applied two times and gotten denied. And on the third time we got it. And so it was this thing where I was like, I need this. Like it was $50,000 and our being a supplement company, our initial run of product 
with MOQs the way they are was like pretty expensive. You know, we had to go and spend 40 grand basically. And so I, I really did need some form of capital, but was super lucky to be able to secure that there was no equity attached to it. So with that, we were able to get our first round of product. And from there, it's been like, okay, we have to be profitable really quickly. So kind of what we were saying earlier of having that risk aversion that you don't typically have with if you're in a consulting position or working in-house at a brand where you can take risk, but you don't feel this like deep heart-wrenching attachment to the dollars you're spending. Um, you're just like, well, this is my budget, so I have to spend it. That has been super challenging for me where I'm like, hoard the money, hoard the money. (laughs) And I've really had to coach myself through like, okay, I'm using this smart. And, and it's, it's also made my mindset shift in that instead of just testing things and kind of being a little bit more loose, if you will, I tend to approach things now with a very like set strategy and then adjust as we execute. So I'm paying more attention to the whole picture. For me, I'm still not sure if I love having the risk on my plate. It's been a struggle and a challenge, but since we are able to hit profitability pretty quickly been operating off of that. And we were able to secure a line of credit for inventory purchases. Of course, being a product-based brand, again, purchasing inventory can be super hard on cash flow. So we have to be super, super mindful of cash flow, but securing that line of credit and proving to the bank that, you know, we can have a line of credit was huge and has made things easier. Wow. Yeah. Bootstrapping is definitely a challenge. And I think It has its pros and cons. At the end of the day, you own your business completely, and that's fantastic. But when you need capital and you don't have access to capital, that's also such a challenge too. So thank you so much for sharing more about that because I don't, I don't think a lot of my listeners understand the challenge that comes along with bootstrapping a product-based business. And I think that you just gave them so much insight into like what it's actually like. So thank you so much for that. Now that we're on the topic of money, I have to ask you, what did you decide to splurge on when it came to business and marketing? And what did you decide to save money on? So one of the things that we haven't splurged on yet, but it's in the strategy for this year is actually starting to utilize paid advertising. And I say that this is a splurge because in today's world, paid advertising is a lot more expensive than it used to be. In 2018, you know, you could go and get CPMs on Facebook for under $10 and now they're up around 25. So when we launched, we launched with organic marketing, like that was our only avenue being a bootstrapped brand and being very cash conscious. Uh, we knew we had to find large audiences through organic channels. So it was like press pitching and, you know, and when I say press pitching, I mean, literally me doing the pitching, going to Instagram and just having a really strong organic presence. Thank God for TikTok because that's been really helpful to our strategy, but we definitely did spend some money on branding. I think that it, Spending too much money on branding can be a no-no. Some brands will dive in and spend like 40 grand on branding. And that's great if you have funding, like, of course, go for it. But with the tools that are available to entrepreneurs and brands today, like Canva and Adobe Creative Cloud and all these things, like, I don't think it's necessary. We spent around 
10 grand on branding, which for me was a splurge. That was huge, but I knew the brand that I wanted to create was one that like powerful and brand forward and spoke to our audience appropriately. So we did spend kind of a scary amount of money on branding and that included packaging, website, logo, just overall look and feel. When you have a product, I do believe that it is so important to have amazing branding because even when you're say at Target, the brands that pop and have really amazing branding, they always stand out on the shelf. And those are the brands I always reach for. So it is important with how many products are out there. And I even think from a standpoint of, and I don't know if you guys are doing this, but influencer marketing, influencers get pitched by so many brands. And even if you're sending out PR boxes, if your box doesn't pop, they won't open it and they won't show it off on social media. So branding goes a long way. And I would say that was our best dollar spent with doggy issues, but it's so different with a product or a a service-based business because branding doesn't really matter as much when you are exchanging time for money. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree that that's definitely a huge part of it is, is just being a product-based brand. And for sure, we've had a lot of opportunity come our way because people say we look bigger than we actually are and we look very cohesive. And that's kind of what I wanted. You know, when you're pitching press and you're pitching like Forbes and Shape Magazine and kind of the big players, you want them to look at you and be like, oh, I should take them seriously as opposed to like, oh, this is some like mom and pop small business. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think I learned that the hard way after like buying so much packaging and whatnot, and then going back and working with influencers, I'm like, oh, wait, they're only posting the products that pop. They're only posting branding that pops. And then I had to go back and redo everything. So if you're starting a product-based business, make sure to invest in branding, like really good, high quality branding, because it makes the biggest difference when you go to market. Yeah. And use your audience too. Like for us, we, as we've grown, we've put packaging design, whether it be the tape we use on our shipping boxes or smaller boxes that we use for our product, we've put them in our Facebook group and we've put them on our Instagram stories and had people vote and say like, which do you like better? And when you get people involved in that process, it's like, they think it's really fun. And when they actually receive it on their doorstep, they're like, Hey, I had like a part in making the decision on this. So start putting it out there too, to your audience to see what people like. Oh, that is such good advice. Involving your community is so key, especially when you're first getting started. Amazing. I love that you touched on that. So my next question for you is, is there anything that surprised you when you were starting a D2C brand? Oh, what didn't surprise me? I think, I think, you know, one of the things that was super surprising was how much I thought I would be in love with the full process and how much it's taught me about the areas that I just don't like. I thought, oh, how cool it would be to create a product and then to also be able to market it. But when it comes down to it, there was a reason that I was in marketing before this. And it wasn't because I liked creating products. Product development is not my favorite part. And it's taught me just a lot about myself. It's also taught me that (laughs) this is, I think, a huge lesson in all of it is I thought, you know, put it out there and everyone's just going to come flocking to you. No, it doesn't quite happen like that. And when you're working internally at a brand that already has large audience, it's so easy to quickly test some new marketing effort because you have an audience of a hundred thousand people. And that's great. You know, you'll get a very 
quick response from that group. When you're starting at zero and you have 5,000 people or less and you're trying things, it takes a lot longer to get results and to understand what's working, what's not. So patience, it taught me patience. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for bringing that up. And you mentioned something else that I would love to dive into if you're comfortable talking about it. What is it like to develop a product? Like, how do you even start? Did you get on Google and start Googling factories? Like, how, what, what does that look like? Cause I've never gone through that process before. Yeah. I'm sure it's different for every type of product, but for creating a supplement, you know, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist. So my first kind of direction was I'd been suggested these supplements by my doctor for my problems. And I, of course, once they were helping me was like, well, why are they helping me? So I dug into some research. I read a couple of, you know, scientific articles, realized that there was real research behind why these nutrients were actually supporting my hormones. And then I was like, okay, I want to make this product better, more cohesive. Who can help me do that? So I looked at who was doing the research in this space to find someone who could help me create a comprehensive formula. And really I I was, I was looking at people who were writing research articles on these topics and reaching out to the doctors, whether it be nutritionists or dietitians. And one of the first people that I reached out to, she responded to me and was super psyched to be involved. She's a dietitian and was really helpful in the initial formulation. We now have two dietitians, a nutritionist and a naturopathic doctor on our medical advisory board, and they help us really with our formulations. But once we'd nailed down what we wanted our formula to be, like how much of each nutrient, then it was lots of Googling of who can actually help us put these ingredients together, make it taste good and develop it at, at scale. So we were looking for contract manufacturers. Um, I want, I knew I wanted it to be made in the U S And I also just reached out, you know, we have a great entrepreneurial kind of network in Jackson, Wyoming, and I knew a couple of people in the skincare space. And of course, skincare is not an ingestible, but a lot of times there's overlap in contract manufacturing between skincare and supplements, or at least like, you know, people in the industry might know each other. And so I started to ask some of entrepreneurs in that space do you have any suggestions for facilities or do you have any suggestions for consultants who could help me find a facility and just started to ask people, tell people what I was doing, used Google a lot, called a lot of people, which was super uncomfortable. I remember being so uncomfortable calling manufacturing facilities, not knowing what I was talking about. I was like, I want to create this thing. This is my idea. And of course they're like, they don't want to take you seriously because they're like, cool. Like you have no money. You have no audience. You're not selling anything yet. So it took a lot of calls to get someone who would do like a low initial order. You know, people are being like MOQs are 10,000 units. And you're just like, woof, like I cannot do that. (laughs) So you're, you're asking all these questions. What are your MOQs? And of course, when you start with what are your MOQs, the facility is like, Oh God who is this joke, but you just have to be like, no, like resilient and keep going until you find the right partner. And one of the things that I've learned along the way is that it is a partnership and approach your manufacturing facility, your co-packer, whoever it is as 
if they were an investor, they're taking a risk on you. And so pitch to them, get them to believe in your idea, tell them your audience size, tell them the market size, tell them what potential you have and get them to believe in what you're building and then build a partnership because ultimately without them, like you're screwed. And we've been through like two manufacturers at this point. And so know that, you know, you're going to have to move on at some point. You're going to have to find someone else, but always just like approach the process. It's like, okay, where can I find my partners? The people that believe in me, that believe in what I'm doing and always be pitching it. Like it's an investor. Yeah. That's great advice. So how long did that process take you from start to finish? Too long. I was working full time. So I wasn't like spending all my time on it. And it probably took six to eight months. Oh my goodness. I just had no idea how long it took. And then you have to do like the packaging and the branding. And there's so much that goes into product that I don't think a lot of people think about that. So thank you for sharing that. Because again, I do have people who are interested in diving into product, but the timelines, here's what I was told. And I didn't believe people when they were telling me this, it takes twice as long and it costs twice as much. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for validating that. But yeah, we had the same issues where it took twice as long, cost twice as much. I remember wanting to give up so many times during that process. Was there ever a point where you were like, is this even worth it? What am I doing? Like, did you ever question yourself along the way? Every day. Still to this day, I think it's so easy, especially I do some marketing consulting as well. And it's so easy for me to see, okay, I just signed this client and it was $5,000 for like not that much of my time. Whereas in product, it's like very cash intensive and you're kind of risking a lot. You know, you're sitting on a bunch of inventory, which is on your balance sheet. It's not just an expense. And it's very different. So I, all the time, I'm like, should I just go all in on consulting and stop this product-based thing where like, honestly, I don't pay myself from my product business yet. Like it's not at a place where I feel comfortable paying myself when I could put it back into the business and I need to put it back into the business because we need to buy more inventory. And so that's a good thing, right? If we need more inventory, that means there's more customers but it, there's just like a longer runway to it being cushy, if you will, where I find with service-based businesses and even my own service-based business, it's so easy to use my own knowledge, create something, have it help someone else and just see the return immediately. It is so different. I feel like service is just so easy. Like, yes, you have your moments where you're like, oh my gosh, I need to sign clients or I'm not going to be able to pay the bills next month. But Ultimately, you can make five, ten, twenty thousand dollars very quickly when you're exchanging time for money and you don't have to worry about profit margins. Like there's just service is very easy compared to product. I'll just leave it at that because I could probably talk about that all day every day. So thank you for mentioning that. And I love that you're in both worlds because you can compare and contrast the two. So thank you for that. So my next question for you is, and you kind of touched on this, but what marketing strategies are helping to generate brand awareness and what marketing strategies are you actually seeing a return from? Yeah, we focus very, very heavily early on, like I said, on organic channels, but on content creation in terms of longer form content that lives on our website for SEO purposes, which I feel like is something that people don't really talk about today. It's really interesting, but organic search is still a thing. 
And if you can rank on the first page for organic search terms that relate to your product, it drives a lot of traffic. So we focused really heavily on kind of filling some of the white spaces that our competitors weren't hitting on that related to our product. And that's been really beneficial because it is a longer term, I'd say like it takes longer to have return on that. You kind of have to work on it over time. Um, but we're s- starting to see great ranking for SEO. We're on page one of a couple of search terms. And then we like really hit it out of the park with a weird COVID menstruation article that drove like hundreds of thousands of sessions to our website because we were ranking number one. And we were just trying to be relevant and keep our audience up to date on a menstrual topic. That was obviously also a current event. So if there's any like current event ever going on that's related to your brand or your audience, like hit on that quickly because it can be really beneficial. Um, And we were able to then like retarget that audience, which was super valuable. Um, So outside, yeah, that was crazy. Outside of SEO, we also have utilized PR. Uh, We got in Forbes our second month of like right after launch. And that really kind of took us from like zero to a hundred really quickly. Um, We got a ton of traffic from it, but also a lot of conversions. Uh, I think just having that credibility can really play into kind of getting to that next level. And so I'd say for the first year, we focused pretty heavily on getting some key PR placements in the last kind of six months. We've, you know, kind of gone away from it just because Once you have like the logos and the credibility, I don't know, we've just switched resources in another direction, but getting some of that can be really valuable. Um, So that was super key in our launch strategy as well. Um, And then again, being able to like capture emails on all of those people and retarget them there. Uh, I, of course, being an email marketing consultant am very heavy in email just because it's so crucial to have that audience and be able to bring them in and make them part of your community quickly, help them understand who you are, why you exist and buy into your brand. So email marketing has been crucial for us as well. Um, So those were kind of like our three main channels, of course, like social media has been a key component of it. And in the last six to eight months, TikTok has driven us a lot of traffic. Wow. That's awesome. I want to touch on the PR piece because you do, you did all of the pitching yourself. You weren't working with a very pricey PR agency to do that for you. Do you have any tips and tricks for founders when it comes to getting featured? Yeah. This is one of my favorite things to talk about because I think so often people believe they have to work with a pricey PR agency to get placement because those people already have the relationships with the writers, but stop thinking about writers as like these people who aren't humans. One of the things that I did was just build a massive database of the publications that I thought would be a good place for us to land and then start finding articles that were applicable. So whether it be like for us, other femtech companies, um, menstrual wellness companies, you know, even skincare companies, and then look at what writer is writing on that topic and like create a list of all those names and just start Googling that living hell out of them. Like uh, you will likely find an email address. If you don't find an email address, you'll find their personal website. You'll find their Instagram account and just start like 
following them from your personal Instagram, engaging with our content. Our Forbes article literally came because I'd found the writer that I wanted to work with. She'd been writing about women's startups, which was perfect for us. Uh, And I started following her on Instagram and literally was like saying how cute her dog was on her Instagram posts and was just being genuine. Like, of course, like there was a little bit of an ulterior motive, but at the end of the day, I was just like, okay, let's figure out who she is as a person and see if I can just like be her friend. And she saw in my profile that I was the founder of a women's health brand and said, Hey, I'd love to talk to you about your brand. She came to me after I was like, your dog is so cute. What kind of dog is it? Like, oh my God, it likes to go to the beach. So does my dog literally just being human. And a lot of our placements, it was similar. Like, of course I did email outreach and reached out to people and had to follow up and seeded product to them and all of those things. But our best placements came from just having genuine conversations with people. Such great tips. Thank you so much for sharing. I just think that there's this belief that you have to work with large PR agencies in order to get featured and you don't, you can get really scrappy with it and do your research and do outreach and get to the right people. But it does take some time to, to get there and to connect and get featured. So thank you so much for sharing that. So I know you guys have a subscription styled service, correct? How do you prevent customer churn? A great question. And it's one we focused on from the very, very beginning. Like I said, with our strong focus on email marketing, um, we made sure that we had a lot of automation set up in place so that the person felt very coddled through the experience. So someone subscribes and they go into this flow where they're getting all the information they could possibly need. The FAQs are getting answered. We are asking for feedback as even after someone gets their second or maybe third box, they can sign up for a 20 minute call with me. And I have customer calls three times a week where for me, it's like a customer interview. We're learning more about our customers in each of these calls, how they found out about us, what their incentive was, which helps plan to like our future copy, et cetera. But at the same time, imagine yourself as a consumer getting to talk to the founder of a brand, you know, you'd feel kind of special. And that's what we want our customers to feel. I am them. I have the same problem that they're experiencing. And so if I can convey that to them and relate to them and let them know like, Hey, if there's ever anything you need, like, let us know. And I think that has played a huge role in, in our retention. We also just do small things like our, we have an SMS list, but really the only people that are on it are our subscribers. We send out weekly tips that are lifestyle tips, recipes, et cetera. I think little things like that, like building community and building trust where we're not just texting people like 20% off. Like for me, I hate getting brand texts that are always a sale. We're texting our customers as if they're our friends. Like, Hey, this great new podcast about menstrual health just came out. Check it out. So little things like that, where it's just conversational and community building uh, has been a big part of kind of retention and just brand building. Oh, I love that. And that's an SMS list. I would definitely want to be on because (laughs) you brought up something that is important. I am on a lot of SMS lists where all I do is I get hit with sale after sale after sale. And I just like ignore those, those messages because they get to be way too much. But if I was on an SMS list where it was just so value packed, I would open up every single message and read every single message. So I love that you guys do that. And I think that is a great way to keep customers and build that community. So I have a couple of questions left before we wrap up the interview. 
What has been your biggest business win to date? I have to say the Forbes article, just because we'd launched literally two weeks earlier. And when you first kind of turn an e-commerce store on, traffic isn't really a thing yet. It's just trickling in. Um, And when we got that article, it was like the floodgates had opened and people knew who we were. So I think that just felt really exciting and really big. And it was kind of like a little girl dream of mine, like, you know, like being in Forbes magazine. And I like scrolled on the website and my face was there. I was like, ah, like, this is crazy. That is so badass. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine like that feeling. So what advice would you give to someone who is wanting to start a D to C business in 2022? I think I would definitely say just make sure that your reasoning, like your why behind what you're building is a good one. Talk to the people who you think are your potential audience and see if what you're creating is actually filling the need for them. Do that research and, and really, really dig into your why, why you're creating what you're creating, why it's different from the competition, what makes you stand out, and then make sure that what you're creating is a really, really good product. You can get by with just good marketing, but at the end of the day, if your product isn't good and someone's not going to get it and feel like it's super valuable in their life, they're not going to come back. And like, you know, over time, you want your customers to be with you for a really long time and keep spending money with you and build a relationship with them. So I think if you're coming from a place of passion, understanding your customer, and then building the best possible product for that customer, like you'll succeed in the long run. It was like, why, why did I wait so long to build my own brand? And it was because I was waiting for that why and that passion to really come through. And I think you see it sometimes, you know, you see brands that people just launched because they wanted to try it. And a lot of times those can fall kind of flat just because there's not a ton of energy behind it. Yeah, that's great advice. I also think too that when you're starting a product-based business, you're not going to see an instant return. And by starting a product that you're really passionate about and like maybe it solves one of your own problems, that is what keeps you going when you're not making money. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think it was Mickey Agarwal, I don't know if you know her, but she started Thinks, the period underwear company. She always says, like, one of the main things you should ask yourself before you start a business is, can I be relentlessly passionate about this for the next 10 years? And if the answer is no, don't do it. <laughs> I love that question. Amazing. Okay. So, what is coming down the pipeline for Maria this year? Yeah, we are right now working on a little formula revamp with our manufacturer. Just had a great medical advisor kind of brain trust, if you will, and are making some updates to our formulation just based on new studies that have come out. We're always trying to stay up to date there. And we're going to launch, of course, we we sell our product in individual servings, little stick packs, but we're going to launch a bulk offering this year. It's been something that we've gotten a lot of requests for. It'll be more sustainable because there'll be less packaging. It'll be like, you know, in a little pouch, like a protein powder or something like that. So those are kind of the two big things on the docket, uh, as well as launching Facebook advertising, which seems really scary right now. Yay. So much fun stuff. Okay. 
Thank you so much for taking the time. I love chatting with you. I know my audience is absolutely going to love this interview. Before we wrap up, can you tell everybody where they can find you on social, what your website is, how can we support you, all the things? Yeah, come visit us online at www.mareawellness.com. We are on Instagram at Maria Wellness. And then you can come say hi to me at Monica Groney on Instagram. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much, Monica. I appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for having me.